Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Season 2 of the Siemens Additive Manufacturing Podcast. I'm Ashley Eckhoff, and I work for the Additive Manufacturing Product Team at Siemens Software. This is Episode 2 of our second season, and today we're continuing our conversation with Dale Tutt. Dale is Vice President of the Aerospace and Defense Industry at Siemens Industry Software, so Dale leads the industry strategy around aerospace software. If you missed our last episode, Dale and I talked about how additive manufacturing is affecting the aerospace and defense industry, the types of aerospace parts being printed, and we touched a little bit on standards and certifications. So uh, welcome back, Dale. I, I, I think I'd like to start off today by talking about using suppliers versus printing in-house. It seems like a good portion of the larger aircraft manufacturers that, that I know of are, are, are utilizing suppliers for a lot of their part production, which I guess is similar to what I hear of in the automotive industry. What percentage of printing would you say is being done in-house versus at suppliers these days? And and does that differ between commercial aerospace, defense aerospace, and of course, space uh, applications? It's a little bit hard to say. I'd say right now that as companies are adopting the technology for the first time, it's probably not that unusual that most of the parts would be printed at a at a supplier. And, and the reason for that is, is that they may not see that they have enough throughput to make the parts, you know, to keep the equipment busy at their own facility. And so they can partner with the supplier and have those parts made at the supplier. But then I think as they ramp up the production processes, you'll start to see then there'll they'll be more balance. Maybe it's 50-50, you know, kind of maybe ba- uh, basing that a little bit on what what we've seen even with uh, with composite part manufacturing, with, you know, sheet metal part manufacturing, that it's not that unusual for 50 to 60% of the parts to be made at local suppliers. And so I think that you might still see the same thing with uh, with additive manufacturing. Now, now, the one difference that may play a little bit of a role into it is it would depend on the kind of part. If you were making a, you know, an engine part or, a, you know, that's a super critical engine part, or maybe you're making a flight, uh, you know, like a landing gear trunnion at some point in the future, that you want to highly control that process and you want to really know how it goes. And so those very critical parts, you would, you might want to make them on your own, uh, on your own machine so that you can really keep track of the process and really have knowledge about the entire process as it goes through that. But a lot of times that'll really be more of a business decision than necessarily a technical decision because the equipment's the same, the processors, you know, the suppliers capabilities are often the same. So uh, I think it really just comes down to a business decision. So I don't know, right now it probably feels like about 50, 50. Um, I'm not sure as different companies are approaching it a little bit differently. So especially as you look at defense versus commercial. I think what we kind of see a lot with just in industry in general, not necessarily specifically aerospace, but that companies kind of start out relying on suppliers because there's a knowledge gap. Additive is one of those processes that just has a million different variables and wrangling those down to the ground and understanding them thoroughly takes a lot of a lot of time and a lot of investment. And so there are special suppliers who've done all of that groundwork. And I and we find that in other industries, a lot of companies rely on them, especially initially when they're first getting into additive and then maybe bring some of that into house as they've um, as they learn more about the process. I, I assume that aerospace is similar in that regard. Yes, I, I would expect it to be the same way. And one of the things that you would see some of the some of the companies do 
is as you're in, when you're just in the prototyping phase, you're, you're printing parts, you might get those from a supplier, but then as you transition sure. into production that you might buy the machines yourself, it really depends on how busy you think you can keep the machines. I mean, ideally you have, you have a printing machine. You really want to keep it, keep it running most of the time uh, to get the most uh, return on your investment. So mm-hmm. I think that was, that, that that's what goes into the trade-offs of when to adopt it as well as are those cost trade-offs. Yep. I think we see that other places as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it's the same. How about software? So you and I are, you know, we work for the software side of Siemens. Where does software play in the adoption of additive manufacturing for aerospace? To me, it's the key. If you're really going to get the benefit out of, say, lightweighting, out of these structures, you've, the topology optimization and and how you design and analyze the tools, and as well as building la- the the lattice structures in to some of these areas, you've got to have you've got to have good capable software that you can trust the result that you're going to get. And and so I think software plays a big part of it. And I'll give an example of you know this is probably been more than twenty years ago, and we evaluated some of this optimization software and. The parts that it was producing, it didn't represent what you could actually machine. And so it didn't have the right constraints built into it that would accommodate what, how, how you would actually machine the part in, in five axis machining. And so even though you could, you could optimize for extremely lightweight parts, they weren't, you know, weren't buildable. So the engineers and the manufacturing team really didn't have a lot of confidence in the software and we didn't buy it. And that was, you know, that was in the mid, mid nineties uh, when we were doing that. But now the software is much more capable and you can trust the software and, and having proven software to design and analyze the parts is, is pretty critical. And so the design software, the simulation software, the analysis software, the ability to really have confidence and trust in it is pretty key to it being adopted more quickly because people can trust the results that they're getting from the software. How about uh, certifiability of the process, you know, being able to trace a part from its initial design through the various stages of simulation, manufacturing, shop floor? I assume, you know, in a, in a highly regulated industry like aerospace, uh, similar to what we see in medical, that that would be important as well? Yeah, absolutely. You have to be able to trace the parts all the way back to the material itself. And, and so having that traceability and being able to document it, understand how the part was built, what was the source of the materials, did they comply to the, you know, the material spec? It's all very critical to the process. And as, especially when you're first going through that type certification process, you have to be able to show that what you said you were going to build in your design data is what you actually built. So going through that process of that certification and knowing the, what the first article looks like and that it fully complied, then even once you move into production itself, you still have to have that paper trail throughout because you have to be able to validate that the, 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 the parts are coming in uh, that are representative of what you certified in the original design. And so uh, throughout the entire process, you have to have that traceability. And, and it's uh, very, very critical for, for our customers to be able to show that. And that's one of the nice things about additive is that you can have that a bit of that digital thread all the way through uh, throughout your process and to be able to keep track of, of, of how the materials are made and you have the process controls. It's, it's kind of all right there. It's it's uh, you know heavily automated. I think. Yeah, I think you mentioned uh, material science and and quality. I assume those are things that that are a part of that as well. Being able to you know do your test coupons the, to make sure the material conforms and all those sorts of things as well. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's understanding and making sure that you're you know producing the part 
that you don't have any voids in it, that you uh, are getting the right mix of the materials. And so uh, I think to, to be able to track and know that you built the part and got the right part is, uh, is, is uh, pretty critical for all of these customers as they go through uh, the certification process as well as the production process. So understanding the materials and understanding how your machine is operating and did it produce the part accurately is, is part of that inspection process. So we've talked a lot about, you know, the various ways that uh, that additive is maybe being adopted. What are some hurdles that you see, some things we still have to get past here to uh, to aid additive in, in its adoption across aerospace? The one that we talked about the most is obviously regulatory. You know, as I said earlier, I think as we've talked about it, that you, you have a process that you need to go through. What most companies are seeing right now is is, is that the part that they're certifying is qualified to be produced on a certain machine using under certain conditions. And so it, it's very tightly controlled right now. And then if you want to build the part on another machine, you have to be able to show that equivalency to what you originally certified. And so there, there certainly are regulatory hurdles, but I would argue that they're becoming pretty well understood. Obviously, the materials science piece of it and how the materials operate as you're going through the 3D printing process, or I'm sorry, how they how they react within the 3D printing process and the temperatures and making sure that you're getting the right mix of the material. But understanding, you know, kind of one step back is things like fracture mechanics of a billet of aluminum or a, or a piece of sheet metal, that you understand the, the material characteristics as that part is in service. And so understanding what kind of properties you're getting with the part and over the life of an aircraft that maybe lasts 50 years, that how is that part going to operate while it's in service? And so understanding the materials science behind it, the strength, the durability, the, the, the fracture toughness of the material, all of that, that goes into it. And then, you know, we talked a little bit about the confidence and just having confidence in the tools uh, that are used to design and analyze the parts, but also just confidence in the parts as they come off that you have a mechanism to know that you got the part that you needed it, you know, that you, that you intended to get. And so when you do your inspections, uh, when you do your review of the materials of the process to make sure that they're operated within the, within the control limits, uh, all of that, I think, plays a part of it, uh, of, of the adoption of that. And, some of this that we talk about, it's it's not an it's not unlike what we've been through before within the aerospace and defense industry with the adoption of say you know with the, with the composite materials because you know, had a lot of the same challenges that you needed to make sure that you followed the process that you were you know you you cured cured the parts at the right temperature and the right humidity levels and that you had you know you had mechanisms to inspect those parts afterwards and I think if you have all that in place you can have a lot of confidence in the part. Excellent. Yeah, it seems like. All those things seem like things to me that get get solved over time, right? So it seems like it's just just time and work that we have here between us and and full you know full scale adoption here. I'm sure you're familiar with the the Gartner hype cycle curve. Where would you say that that aerospace AM is on that curve? Have we gotten past like the the heightened expectations and disillusionment? Are we close to turning it into a, a viable production technology in aerospace? Where, where do you think we're at? So I do think that we are close to turning it into viable production technology in aerospace. And we're seeing a lot of evidence of that already. And it, it, it is somewhat dependent on the application. You know, you're seeing a lot of application of uh, additive being used in space, uh, space applications. You're also starting to see it 
used on commercial aircraft and on military aircraft, and not just on secondary structures, but being evaluated uh, on some pretty heavy-duty primary structures that I've seen. And so, you know, so I would argue that companies are moving into that. I guess it's the uh, uh, the slope of enlightenment. Obviously, there's some parts there are people maybe would say that we're still entering the trough of disillusionment. I, I don't know that I would call it that. I, I wouldn't call it the trough of disillusionment for some of the like things like primary structures. It's maybe it's more in reality, it's the, um, the plateau of practicality that companies know that there's going to be some regulatory difficulties to certify for some applications. Uh, certainly for primary structure and critical systems, you know, we, we mentioned like the landing gear trunnion earlier. That's a pretty critical system. And you know, most companies use a forging for that today. But um, over time, you know, it's, it may be hard to find the business case to adep- adopt the new technology right now. So, you know, you're looking at what does it take to certify a new process for those kinds of parts and I think over time, the business case will be there and they'll do it. So disillusionment, no. Practicality, absolutely. So I think that's kind of where we stand on a lot of these processes today. Yeah, as the as the certification gets easier, as the process gets more understood, the ROI goes up, right? So you, you kind of hit this uh, inflection point where things become more possible than they were in the past because the, the path is easier, yeah. So just to close things out here, uh, we've talked about a lot of different things, but I'd like to like to step outside of additive manufacturing for a moment. Um, you know, other than additive manufacturing, what are some some future technologies that you see becoming more important to the aerospace industry in the years ahead? What should our listeners be uh, be looking for, maybe you know, technology wise, to be rising importance there? I think there's so many possibilities. It's when you look at the amount of innovation that's out there right now uh, with air taxis, hundreds of companies working air taxis. You see people, you know, startup companies working supersonic aircraft. You see a lot of startup companies working in space. Space uh, tourism. It's going to drive. Yeah. yeah, space tourism. Yeah. So it's it's going to drive uh, innovation and technology. I do think that, you know, we're going to see, especially with high speed and hypersonic uh, applications, uh, high-speed aircraft, hypersonic, you know, you're going to see more more advanced materials technology. I kind of wonder at what point in time we're going to see the elimination of flight control surfaces, you know, kind of return to the uh, Wright brothers with wing warping. And I know that there's studies out there right now, but that's interesting to me because it's going to drive new materials and it's also going to drive new software and new electronics. And so it's kind of a fun one to think about if you're maybe, you know, thinking out there 20 or 30 years, but, uh, that'd drive the analysis guys crazy. I imagine, <laughs> <laughs> but the aerodynamic guys are going to love it because there's no gaps. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so it's, and we're certainly going to see a lot more, uh, even in just, you know, things like battery technology and zero emissions, it's going to drive a lot of changes in our propulsion systems. So it's, uh, uh, and, and, and the electrical and software system. So there's a lot of fun, a lot of fun stuff, a lot of really cool stuff going on in aerospace right now. And I'm looking forward to it. You actually mentioned something there I'd like to follow up on since you mentioned it. The environmental impact of, of air travel, especially, is something that a lot of people are really looking at these days. And we didn't really talk about uh, the environmental aspects of, of aerospace, but maybe um, that's another place where additive can come into play. Uh, what do you think? Probably in a couple of uh, couple scenarios that uh, when you think about machining parts on a large scale, 
you know, it's not uncommon to take a hundred pound billet of material and you turn it into seven pounds of part. Mm-hmm. And so that means you have like 93 pounds of, of metal that has to be recycled. And along with that, you get cutting fluids and, and some other things that have to be dealt with. And companies are dealing with it quite successfully today. But I think when you, when you start looking at additive that you're only using the material that you need, you reduce that overage of material uh, quite significantly. I think that's uh you know, that'd be one of the areas where uh, we'll, we, we can see some benefits from additive. And certainly as, as airplanes, you know, just getting lighter, as airplanes get lighter, even if they're still burning, you know, gas, if they're still burning jet fuel, if it's a lighter aircraft, then you don't need as much, uh, you know, fuel to push it through the air. And so there's a couple different areas where I can see additive having an immediate impact on the, uh, on the industry in that respect and how we're making airplanes and how we're, how much, um, carbon we need uh, to fly them. Yeah, I would say even if we get to a, a, a future with electric aviation being mainstream, that, uh, you know, lightweighting saves you the amount of battery you need. And that's, uh, those have heavy metals, they have weight, you know, of their own. And uh, yeah, seems like that would be something worthwhile. One other thing is that when you start looking at batteries and the packaging, the amount of batteries that you need, if, if you can start to optimize those packaging to to mimic the shape of the of the vehicle that you're you're putting them into, then you may have a more efficient battery design as well. So there there are definitely a lot of possibilities there. Well, thank you, Dale. Really appreciate you talking with us today. It's been it's been awesome. Uh, you bet. I'm really pl- uh, really pleased to be here today, and uh, and uh, I enjoyed the conversation. So that's a wrap. Uh, I'd like to thank the Siemens Thought Leadership Team for sponsoring our podcast. And I'd like to encourage all of you to subscribe to our podcast, to send us comments, and to look me up on LinkedIn if you have any questions about anything you've heard here today. In our next episode, we'll be finishing up our discussions of additive manufacturing in the aerospace industry as we talk with our friends at Centavia. So I'm really looking forward to that. As always, we appreciate you joining us. You've been listening to the Siemens Industry Software Additive Manufacturing Podcast. My name is Ashley Eckhoff, and we look forward to seeing you next time.